0: Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, I've called this message presumptions, and we are going to see why that's the case and what that means for us in our lives. But as we look at this this passage in in Luke 13, as I start to read this passage, I'm going to pause for a couple of comments and uh, just to help us understand some of the context, I'll speak about some of the later portions and make sure that we are uh, understanding the context for that. But there is one main theme that I want to emphasize this morning, and that is around this idea of presumptions. What does it mean to be presumptuous? Um, So, starting in Luke 13, verse one. Now there were some present at that time, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. It's a very morbid statement. And the next phrase after this, verse 2, it says, Jesus answered. The Bible here in Luke does not say what question was asked of him. It just simply says that the people told Jesus about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. But it is very clear from the context that they either asked a question directly or were thinking a question in their minds that Jesus knew. And then he responds to that question by, that's why the Bible says, Jesus answered. And the question that they would have asked may very well have been along the lines of the question that the disciples asked Jesus as it is recorded in John chapter 9. Yesterday in the women's Bible study, I know that the ladies were looking at John chapter 9 and the story of the man who was born blind and then what Jesus did to restore his vision. But before Jesus did that, The Bible says in John chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus was responding this way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So keeping in mind that a very similar sort of question may have been asked about these Galileans who were put to death, let's continue to read in verse verse 2 of chapter 13. Jesus answered, But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. By the way, it was common practice that fig trees would be planted in the middle of a vineyard. It helped to provide support and sometimes the vines would be would be put on to the, the branches of the fig tree, so that's not unusual. But you listen to see and you read what was what trans uh, what uh, took place as Jesus was describing this. Then it continues, verse ten. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for eighteen years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, "Woman." you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Let me make a quick comment about verses 10 through 17. As we continue through the book of Luke, we're now sort of Midway through the book of Luke of uh, 24 chapters, we're here in chapter 13, and you will find that as Luke keeps narrating different things, there are reminders of truths that we've already seen in previous chapters. So in this section here, between 10 to 17, we're seeing a number of points that we've already looked at before. The idea of religion valuing the observance of Sabbath over the Lord of the Sabbath. The the fact that Jesus, when he is, is healing this woman, is clearly addressing and speaking to a spirit of infirmity that has her bound. Not all diseases or not all physical conditions would be caused by a demonic spirit, but in this case, as we've seen in the past, Jesus is addressing that then when the people and particularly the leader of the synagogue is speaking out against what Jesus does, Jesus refers to him as a hypocrite. And we looked at this a few weeks ago to understand that hypocrisy is where you're trying to have this outward pretense, where you're more concerned about external reputation before people than walking in the ways of the Lord and obeying him. So all of these truths are coming back and being referred to when we read this passage. And we're going to go into a number of passages like this through the rest of the book of Luke, where it should remind us of what has already been stated. And what is the reason? It is to reinforce, it is to emphasize, is to make sure that we pay attention to these lessons, to these truths. So those are all some points that I wanted to make about some of the context and general things in this passage but I wanna go back to that first section where Jesus is speaking about the people who have lost their lives, and then he is speaking this parable about the fig tree. How should we understand these particular statements of Jesus? And when you think about it, and we think about this term presumptions, what is being presumed, if you understand the first thing that's happening here, Jesus is speaking to let the people know that the reason that they think why these people lost their lives is not the right reason. He's saying, these people didn't die because they committed a sin. In fact, similar to what I was pointing out in John chapter nine, in that situation, he says, this, it was not this man's sin or his parents sin, but this situation happened so that the power of God, the the will of God could be revealed in his life. In other situations, it is very clear that something bad happens or that there's a judgment of God as a direct result of sin. Somebody sins, the nation of Israel sinned, there was one man who sinned, and God pronounces judgment. God brings suffering on the people. So there is a definite time and a place where God does speak judgment or ha- puts his finger on the people in terms of what would be a result of sin. But there are also times when it is not because of sin. And there may be times when we see that suffering is taking place in the world around us, and he is intending it for to to reveal something in our character, to root out some sin, to deal with our lives in such a way that that suffering takes place, that that pressure comes upon us. And we say, oh, what do I do? How do I respond? And it causes us to deal with the problem situation in our lives. But the point that I want to make to you is that when we see these kinds of situations, when we see suffering, when we see things that we don't think are good, when we see that something is happening to someone in a way that's pretty, you know, difficult, we tend to draw quick and unbiblical conclusions about what is happening and why it is happening. Clearly, the people who were speaking to Jesus about these Galileans were trying to make a connection to these people's sins and therefore the loss of their lives. They were saying or at least they seem to be implying, which is why Jesus answers that way, they seem to be implying these Galileans must have done something sinful and therefore they were killed. They, were, they died. But Jesus' Jesus's response helps us to understand that we cannot jump to a quick and unbiblical conclusion. We cannot just simply say, this is why it's happening. Now, why do we do this? Why do we immediately assume or presume when you presume, by the way, you're, you're extending that you're making a generalization that applies to more than just that specific condition, that specific example, that specific situation. You're saying everybody in the world, well, you're going to suffer if you sin and it's the judgment of God. And how many times have you heard that phrase from people or, Maybe you've thought that phrase or that, that statement, you know, that sentiment. Oh, this person is suffering because they sinned. Or you go to somebody and you say, well, what was your sin? That, you know, the suffering has come upon you. You know, in the story of Job, the, uh, by all records, the oldest book in the Bible, that's what his friends do to him when he is suffering in an unimaginable way, suffering incredible loss, suffering in his body, suffering rejection and his friends come to him and say you must have sinned greatly you must have done something really bad that's why this is happening to you and so we tend to jump to these conclusions for a variety of reasons but one of them is because we want some certainty we don't want to say i don't know or i'm not sure why this happened or i'll trust god i will rely on god i'll look to god even if I don't understand it. We want to say, I know the reason. I know why this person is suffering, they did this. Or I know why this happened, they didn't do this. And so we want to be certain. And part of that wanting certainty is also that we want to be in control. We want to say, this is the reason that this is happening. And if you just do this, this won't happen. Or if you just don't do this, this this won't happen or this will happen. We want to have that kind of control. And we won't say you know cause and effect. In Hinduism, and then by extension into Buddhism, there's this word that is used called karma, and it has become very common in our common vernacular now. People will use that word, and you will see references where people will say, "Oh, they did something bad, and then something bad happened to them. Or it was their karma. Uh, they got they got their you know." karma to them or karma happened to them and so on. In the past, maybe people would have used the word or phrase, they, they got their just desserts, right? But now people very freely use this term. But that concept of karma and that concept in Hinduism is this idea that you do good in your life today or bad, and based on that, you will be reincarnated and that will be the judgment, the result, the outcome, of how well you did or didn't do. The Bible doesn't speak in those kinds of terms at all. The Bible doesn't say you do all things good and try to make sure that your good outweighs your bad and then God will receive you or then you will be saved. The Bible says that we receive salvation entirely because of the grace of God, entirely because of his provision to us, entirely because he gave, not because we did. And that's a completely different way to think about it. So when we start to draw quick and unbiblical conclusions about what is happening and why it is happening, many times we are going against what the Lord is doing and how the Lord sees that situation. Instead of that conclusion, what we really should be saying is, Lord, you show me, you reveal to me, you let me know what's going on. Let me be discerning and therefore deal appropriately with the situation at hand. And here's the thing. If we start to make these presumptions, if we presume, if we draw these quick and unbiblical conclusions about the situation, we will generalize these presumptions and then they can become the basis for ungodly beliefs. We now start to believe a certain thing. We say, oh, you know, if you commit this kind of sin, oh, then there's no hope for you. Or if this happens, then, you know, then definitely you're going to be punished. Oh, you you know, you they were going along and doing these things and then suddenly this happened. Oh, it must be the judgment of God. And we start to generalize and we start to have ungodly beliefs in our minds about others and about ourselves. And so... We start to put a whole bunch of people into a box. We start to deal with people in a specific way. We start to build prejudices and bias. Why? Because we have presumed, we have presumed, we have these presumptions about what's going on. We haven't gone to the Lord, we haven't said to him, what's what's really happening, Lord? We have made this presumption. And let me tell you that these presumptions are not just about others. We make presumptions about ourselves. We say, oh, I'm suffering, but, you know, I deserve it. I messed up. I did this r- terrible thing. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be suffering. Or we say that of others, right? Well, and, and we feel that of others. Or we can say, well, you know, I'm just not worthy. I, I'm not good enough. I, I, I don't know if the Lord can ever receive me or forgive me or call me his own. I, I just... You know, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that can happen. Why? Because we've presumed something that is not biblical and then developed a whole mindset, a stronghold of the mind, a belief system that says, this is what will happen. This is what it implies for me, even though that's not what the Bible says. And so we have to be careful to not... Go beyond what is written. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting to read in verse 1, it says, this is how one should regard us. And we spoke about this verse with regard to stewardship. You know, when we're speaking about possessions that we should not count any possession as our own because we're stewards of Christ. And we read this first verse. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, and this is Paul speaking, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted not because i don't know there's anything against me that i'm acquitted it is the lord who judges me therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from god i have applied all these things to myself And Apollos, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it from God, why do you boast as if you did not receive it, as if you did something? But the point that Paul is making here, and the point that we want to keep in mind in the context of this message, is that we don't judge people. We don't pronounce judgment on them. We don't have to presume anything. We can observe. We can deal. We can be wise and understanding, led by the Spirit. But the judgment for that person comes from the Lord. They will receive the right, fair, just judgment from God, not from us. So we deal with people according to what is written and we don't go beyond what is written. That's the call that God has on us. So what does he actually say? What does God want us to do? What did Jesus say to these people? He said, it's not their sin. It was not the blind man's sin. It was not his parents' sin. You know, you're jumping to conclusions. But all of you need to repent so that you don't likewise perish. God calls us to repent, to set things right between us and him. He's not saying, you know, think about that person, figure out this situation, tell me what's going on, let's figure, you know, let's determine what the punishment should be. He's saying, look, you repent. You set your life right with me. You come to me personally. Don't worry about anything else. And you make sure that you are not headed on a path to destruction, but rather you are on the way of life. That's the call that the Lord has for us, that we would be people who repent and are reconciled to God. We were caught in our sin. We were living in darkness. We had no means of receiving the forgiveness of our sins by ourselves. We couldn't atone for our sins. We couldn't do enough good so that we could be good enough. No, we had to rely on what Jesus did. And that's why when he says, I called you to repentance, it is the power of what he did. It is the cross. See, before, even before Jesus went to the cross, and even here in this passage as we read it, When Jesus is telling these people to repent, when John the Baptist was calling people to repent, what he was saying to them was, turn from your wicked ways, turn to God, call out to him, receive him. But after the cross, from the time of the cross, we have even more of a means of receiving this Repentance from God because the power of God is manifest in our lives. The blood of God is poured out on our hearts. We are cleansed. We are made clean. We are able to be restored in relationship with God. So that's the power that God is giving us. But you know, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that God is patient with us, not wanting. That any should perish, you know, when Jesus said, "Repent, or else you'll all perish," he's not trying to say, "Okay, you're all going to perish." Uh, you know, I I proclaim this, I prophesy, you're all going to perish. That's not the tone. He's really saying, "Look, I am patient with you. I am loving you. I am showing you unmerited favor. I'm showing you my grace, and I'm showing you my mercy when you don't deserve it." I'm showing mercy to you. I am patiently waiting so that no one should perish. In fact, as we read in 2 Peter there, and as we read these other references, the Bible says that Jesus delays his coming return, his return, so that more people would be saved, so that more people would come to know him, so that fewer people would perish. That's the heart of God. That's what he longs for. That's what he wants, you know, especially today, even as we were talking about Mother's Day. You know, the Bible speaks about the Lord in those terms, like a loving mother who draws his children to him, who cares for them and nurses them. That's how the Bible speaks about God, as a mother, and all of those attributes of good mothers, that's in God. That's where mothers get it from, because it's in God already, and so, That's the God that we have who says, I don't want for anyone to perish. I don't want for anything to happen to you that would be out of this plan of mine. I want you to come to me. Don't go to, don't presume anything about somebody else's life. Don't presume anything about your own life, but come to me and let me, let me save you. Let me redeem you. Let me bring you out of sin and bondage into life and liberty. So what does that mean for us? We have to commit. We have to respond to this word by saying, Lord, we commit not to judge or to presume anything about anyone. There are facts. There are things that may be observations. We may even know that something is happening. But you know what? Many times we don't know. We may not know. And it's pride on our side to think we know everything about what's going on, that we can clearly see this is what's happening in the heart of that person. No, You know, our own hearts, the Bible says, our own hearts deceive us, let alone the hearts of somebody else. And so we don't presume, we don't judge, we don't jump to a conclusion. We say, Lord, we repent and we come to you. We are reconciled to you. We give our hearts to you. We ask you to take charge of our lives. And as you do that, Lord, we thank you that you give us discernment. We thank you that you give us wisdom. We thank you that you give us eyes to see, spiritual eyes, eyes as the Holy Spirit would have it, so that we can see into a situation and know this is good and this is evil. This is right. This is wrong. This is the path I should take. This is the one I should avoid. This is the immorality or the lust that I should flee from. God helps us to do all of that. He lets us have what is necessary to live a victorious Christian life. But we do it without presumption. We do it without judgment. We do it without putting any group of people or any single individual into a box. We say, Lord, we bring them to you. We bring them to you. This is what we're saying. We bring them to you. We pray for them. We intercede and we wait on you. So this morning, I want to ask you as you apply this word as you look at what needs to happen and you say Lord how do I deal with the things that I have gone through and what I may be thinking about I want to put these three steps before you and I am saying to you to each one of us to myself starting with myself identify identify unbiblical presumptions and the resultant ungodly beliefs in your heart. What have you presumed about anything, any situation or any person? Ask the Lord and say, Lord, what have I been living in? What presumption have I made about you? Sometimes we may presume about God and say, God, I have done these particular things. Then you're obligated to reward me. You're obligated to respond to me. Lord, I've done this good, now a reward. And that's a presumption about God. What kind of presumptions, what kind of resultant, ungodly, unbiblical beliefs have we come to? And I would say to you, ask the Lord. Let him work in you so that those would be identified, so that those would be known. And then, second step, renounce those ungodly beliefs you know this this process of renunciation it's for you to confess that before the lord but it's also to receive the power of the holy spirit to be filled with the holy spirit to deal with that to be cleansed of that to have the power of that sin broken and removed so that the chains are broken and that you are released you are in freedom in liberty So renunciation is not just simply saying some words. It's not making a vow. It's confessing our sins before the Lord, but it's also receiving his power to live in and to walk in the freedom that he has given us. So renounce the ungodly beliefs, those things that would keep you from truly loving God and loving others. You see, when we presume about people and what's going on with them, We won't deal with them with the love of God. We'll deal with them with eyes of judgment. We'll deal with them with sorrow. We'll deal with them with our own evaluation of what's happening in their hearts. And we will deal with them as if we are the Holy Spirit that has to bring conviction to them, that has to bring judgment to them. God doesn't call us to any of that. God says to us, you come to me. You repent so that you don't perish you come to me and this third step i encourage you replace the ungodly beliefs with biblical godly beliefs what have you said about yourself or somebody else that now needs to be replaced with a direct statement from the word of god what have you believed that many for many years maybe all your life so maybe that that really is keeping you from getting close to God, is hindering you, is causing doubts and confusion in your mind. What have you believed of that kind? That those things can now be replaced with an actual truth from the word of God, the biblical, godly belief that needs to be stated. And every single day that you would come to the Lord and you would state those godly beliefs, You would repeat those statements, that you wouldn't be saying those things that you've been saying to yourself for many years, even, whatever it may be. If you say, if you have been saying to yourself, I'm not worthy, well, praise God that He says, even when you were not, even when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, I called you out, I gave you life, and I am calling you righteous, I am calling you worthy, I am calling you. My child. Replace that ungodly belief with the statements that would come from the Holy Spirit. And then state that to yourself repeatedly. State that for others. Are you seeing a person who is maybe explicitly, blatantly in sin? Or you're seeing a person who is involved in some action that you don't know how to explain? You're not sure why this is happening. Bring that person to the Lord and state godly, biblical, beliefs, and principles, and statements, and promises, and the directives of God over that situation, over that person. So, we need to be people who don't jump to a conclusion, who don't presume. These people that came to Jesus, they presumed that sin was the reason, that these people had died a violent death, because of their sin. We look around the world right now and in years past too, there have been multiple times when the church has pointed an accusing finger at the world and said, oh, it's because of your sin. It's because of your way of life. We've said those kinds of things to people around us. And again, hear me, there could very well have been blatant sin. And God very well could have been judging. they very well could have been suffering because of it. But that's not our place. Our place is to bring those people before God. Our place is to repent. Our place is to call others to repentance. Our place is to let others know about this loving God who is patient, who is kind. And this morning, if there's anybody who is listening to me or who will listen to this message later, And you don't know this Lord Jesus in this way. You've never trusted him. You've never given your life to him. You're trying hard to live a good life. And you are hoping that your good will outweigh your bad. You're hoping for good karma. You're hoping that someday, somehow, you will be better off than where you are today because of what you are doing. I I just want to encourage you. That you would turn to Jesus. Nothing you do, nothing you say, nothing you try on your own can free you from your sin, can f- wash you clean and make you white as snow, can bring you to the presence of God Himself, can cause you to live in eternity with Him. Nothing except the blood of Jesus, except the sacrifice on the cross, except What Jesus has done for you, not what you will do for yourself. Jesus has already done it. So this morning, I encourage you. You would turn to Jesus and you would repent. That you would say, Lord, I've been going in my own way. And I've been following my own thoughts, my mindsets, my strongholds, my way of thinking. I need to have a new way of thinking. I need to have the mind of Christ. I need to have a mindset that would come from being filled with the Spirit. I need to know your ways and walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good to us and that you have given us life. I thank you, Lord, that your word is so powerful to us that, Lord, we are not called to presume, to judge, to jump to any conclusion, to say anything about people or situations around us. But rather, Lord, we are to bring those things to you. We have to trust you. We have to know that you will judge at the right time. And that, Lord, in the meantime, we want to come to you in repentance. In a true turning. Not some slight deviation from where we were going but a complete turnaround, a complete reversal of the direction we were taking so that we can come to you and receive life. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray that we would, as we love you, love others without any presumptions. We would truly care for them. We would, Lord, intercede for them. That we would, Lord, bring your word to them with love and grace and mercy, so that they will know a loving, gracious, and merciful God. Lord, we pray that we would bring your word, nothing else, not going beyond your word. We would bring your word to people because your word is sufficient. It will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, it will bring life, it will show the way. Oh, Lord, Ka, and we pray that we would be so intimately related with Jesus that we can come to people and introduce them to you. Because, Lord, when your name is lifted up, when you are in our midst that way, when you touch people's hearts, oh, Lord, Ka, you will draw their hearts to you. So we thank you. We praise you. We commit ourselves, Lord, to walk in these ways before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.